Well, we're going to pick up our study in 1 Timothy, again on the, the doctrine of deacons, the qualifications of deacons. So you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll read the entire chapter, but we'll pick up where we left off from last week in verse 10 to 13 for the sermon today. But I'll begin reading in verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the crown of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Amen. Well, let us pray. Well, Lord, again we come to you and we appeal for the power of the Holy Spirit to be among us here this day. Now as we come and examine this passage of Scripture together, Father, we pray for the illuminating power of the Spirit in our hearts. We pray that you would uh, give, give the grace, give the, the, the power from on high to preach the word. We pray that you give grace and power to receive the word, to understand it, to take seriously these things, how we ought to structure our church. Lord, we pray that uh, that you would be glorified here. We pray that if there be sinners among us who are not yet in Christ, have not yet been forgiven of their sins, that they would today would be that day of salvation as we consider our Savior. And Lord, we pray that above all, you be glorified here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to, as I said, pick up in verse 10. It was a brief, uh, brief reminder uh, here, uh, just review maybe of what we've looked at in the past concerning the church, the structure of the church, and uh, ultimately the topic of deacons. The reason being, we want to add deacons in our church. I've mentioned this um, already. We put these names forward, Hunts, Kroll, and Brahm Van Dott, both these men under consideration for the diaconate for deaconship in the church. So, um, so as we are as we are going through this, these are the these are the men we need to have in mind as we're considering these qualifications here. So, we started out with our with with 
coming to an understanding of, of the deacons is with the church as a whole. What is the purpose of the church? And we see that in verse 15 of this chapter here, that Paul says that the church is the, is the, the, the household of God, and it is the pillar and the ground or the buttress of the truth. That means the church is to uphold the truth. The church is, to, is, to, is the one in this world who upholds the truth. The world cannot give you truth. The world, the world can maybe give tidbits of it, but they can't give a whole complete, complete truth based upon the, the reality that there is a God. There's a God by whom we were created. There's a God to whom we are accountable. And there is, and, and God, and this God has revealed all truth to us in His Word. So the church's job then is to ensure that the truth is upheld and the truth is taught, and both in doctrine and in practice. We don't want to be just just on one side only teaching doctrine, 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 because we just get big heads. We get we get knowledge puffs up. Uh, Paul tells us we want to know how to apply that, how to how to live the truth. And we also don't want to just teach all the how to be how to be a, a good person. If you want to say that um, how to be godly without having the foundation of why why do we want to be godly why and have all of that. So we need both. We need we need to uphold truth in doctrine and in practice. And so that we don't have every man doing every man believing what's right in his own eyes, which leads to chaos. That's what happened in the in the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes there. It was chaos. In the church, the same thing happens. If every man does what's right in his own eyes, believes what's right in his own eyes, we're going to get chaos. So God, therefore, instituted structure into his church. And, there, and God instituted leaders, elders, and, and deacons, officers in the church to, to guide and to lead and to keep the church in the truth. So that's... Uh, and, and then the members... Are, are to submit to that teaching. They're to allow themselves to be led by the teachers. That's Hebrews 13. We've looked at that a few times. Um, to, to be, it says, obey those who lead you. The word is the passive form of the word to, to persuade. So be persuaded. Allow yourself to be persuaded. Allow yourself to be led by those whom God has given to lead you. There's, a, there's, a, there's many texts that teach that. Ephesians 4 is another one. There, I think I mentioned it last time we looked at this, that Part of the reason why our Western church is in shambles the way it is, chaotic, we might say, um, is because we no longer see it this way. We no longer see the church as, as having to uphold the truth. We're starting to cave to the worldly idea that, that you know, truth can be whatever you want. Anybody can believe what they want. Um, that ought not to be. We have leaders like that. Leaders that say, I'm, it's just, I'm going to do, I'm going to preach me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit. That's not the way, that's not the way to do it. They're, un, you know, they're unwilling to, to, um, to, to, to go back and see what, what did the church teach? What have those who've gone before me, what have they taught? What, so all these things we see, um, we, we've, we've left that and the church is suffering because of that. Um, members, the same thing. Members or attendees of a church, I should say attendees, because the, the concept of membership has even gone out the window because of this idea. We're not willing to submit. We're going to go somewhere that teaches us that what the things that we like to hear. And if we if we disagree with something, we're just, we'll just leave and go off to uh, to the next church somewhere. Now we understand if you know we we still use the Bible. We still we still. 
go back to the Bible and we, what we hear at church, just like the Bereans, we can take it back and say, yeah, does, does this stack up? Does this add up? And that's, that's good. We ought to be doing that. Same with things like the Nicene Creed or the, or the Athanasius Creed, those types of things. These are wonderful documents that keep us hedged in in the truth when it concerns Trini uh, Trinity or Christology, these, these major important things. We don't want to throw them out and say, well, that was 2,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago. We don't need that anymore. Um, but we can, we can take those things and we can, we can line them up with Scripture and say, wow, these, this, it, it, it actually, this is what the Scriptures teach. So that's, that, is, um, that is the role of the church, to uphold the, the truth. Then we need to we need to realize that and take that seriously. So we have elders then, primary of the primary leaders, they're the stewards, the Bible says, which means household managers. So if the church is God's household, the elders are the overseers of the church. They're the managers, the household managers of God's church. They are to be committed to sound doctrine. That is that is crystal clear throughout uh, Timothy, Titus, um, Ephesians. It, it, it's it's very clear. Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, and so you will save both yourself and those who hear you, 2 Timothy 4, 16. So being an elder in the church is a very weighty responsibility. If your job is to teach people the truth in, in doctrine and in practice so that their lives are conformed to Christ, so that God is glorified in the lives of all of those people under your care, what a, what a weighty responsibility. Watching over people's souls, Paul tells the... Uh, tells the elders that's what they're doing so you have to as an elder you have to give an account of how you how you were able to teach how you were able to lead and shepherd those souls under your care in conformity to christ you, it, it, that is that is uh that is his responsibility that is what he is he is uh has to give an account for but there are there's a lot more that goes on in taking care of a church and and uh and and being a, a steward in the household. There's more things that he's responsible for. Um, a lot of physical things, a lot of practical things that it takes to have a healthy church. So, and so that those, those things, those other things don't hinder him from that all important task of, of the spiritual care and shepherding that we find that the, the Paul has teaches us here that there's deacons then who, who hold uh, an office, an official office in the church and for that primary role of alleviating those more physical, um, practical needs of the church, taking being de being delegated by the elder those tasks so that he can um, so that he can alleviate the elder and, and the elders can continue to focus on the spiritual teaching and uh, and instruction. Deacons may provide spiritual teaching and instruction that, that they're not hindered from that. Um, but they are they are um, taking up the cares and the concerns in a more of a practical way of the church. Think of Acts six, good example. We looked at that, uh, but they they uh, that was where the, the the Hellenist widows needed help, and the elders said they said, "Okay, point for you these seven men who can take that take that on." It's not that they didn't care about the widows and and didn't want um, and didn't want the. Uh, you know that that didn't concern them not at all. It was it was how can I delegate this to someone so that we can maintain our commitment to prayer and to the word of God? They said there. So the the, the deacons then these uh, they need to be specially qualified 
for this special office. So not anybody who donates their time to serve in the church is constitutes a deacon. That's um, he must meet these qualifications, knowing this is the purpose. He's going to be helping the elders in the care, the managing of the church. So last week, then we looked at some of these um, some of these qualifications in verse eight and nine that it said he must be reverent or um, uh, probably. The, the Greek is semnos, worthy of respect or worthy of honor, dignified. So he has to be somebody who's, uh, who is dignified. We saw this last time, this, and relying on our study through the book of Proverbs, that to have to be worthy of honor, honor comes by Christ-like living, by living, being wise, being truly wise, which is, which is being, uh, being Christ-like. So he must have a general Christ-like character. He must have it and, uh, in his life, and, and that is how he is worthy of honor. So that's sort of an overarching. He just needs to be generally, generally godly individual. But we know that we all have areas of weaknesses. We all struggle with different things, different, um, different weaknesses in our lives. And there's Paul identifies here three areas that that a deacon may not have weaknesses in. He cannot be weak in these three areas. He needs to be especially sanctified in the area of honesty. So he 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 cannot be double tongued. He cannot be two worded. Is what the words uh, the word says. You, we have to know this is an honest man. What he says is what he means. He's not a double talker. He's honest. He can't be given too much wine here. Meaning he can't be uh, he cannot have addictions. Or, or things that would control him rather than being... He ought to be controlled by the Holy Spirit because that's what we find in Ephesians. In contrast to, the, to being given over to much wine, we have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So he cannot, it's not just that he can't be a, an alcoholic. He can't have substance abuse. He can't be addicted to gambling. Um, whatever. Whatever. He, he, may not have, he may not have something that controls him under the influence and control something... Um, that would cause him to be unchristlike there, and he cannot be greedy for money. He can't be self-seeking. He can't be in the pursuit of, of of his own riches, his own money, willing to do that in dishonest and um, and and dirty ways. That's literally what it says here. That he um, um, the not greedy for money. Uh, I think the, the King, the old King James, says "filthy lucre," which is a, which is exactly what that means: dirty lucre um, profit. He's not he's, he's not willing to go to be dishonest about about the way that he increases his own uh, his own wallet, and for obvious reasons, because a lot of things that he's going to be doing in the church are going to be involved handling the church's money and and you know and, and giving that out to in whatever way it is. So he can't be like Judas, who's willing to, you know, line his own pockets uh, from the church's money. And then verse nine kind of gives us the foundation for all of this: that that he must clearly understand the mystery of the faith, which is essentially just the gospel. He must understand and firmly grasp the gospel. He must be a solid believer in uh, in Christ. Now, why would Paul say this? And I think we we because we probably. We probably all can, can think of somebody, know somebody who would who might meet these qualifications, but not actually be a believer. 
a good businessman. He's a he's a he's a man of of honor and integrity. He's honest. He's not he's not double tongued. He doesn't he, what he says. His word is good. He's not controlled. He's not doesn't allow himself to be controlled by addictions and, and something that's going to distract him from his uh, his his purpose. He's not greedy. Maybe he gives to charity and, and uh, he helps others. He's he, he's generous, but. This is a man who he's borrowed from the Christian worldview. He's doing things. Uh, he's doing things in a wise way, but he might not be. If he's not a believer, then he's not a member of Christ's church, and he and he should not be. Not then be a deacon in the church. So that's important for us to understand. We might say, well, that's obvious. If he's going to be a deacon in the church, he's got to be a believer. But that's not so obvious to to uh, in, in our in our in the Western church so often anymore. We're going for men who are good businessmen, men who are, who are, you know, who are uh, smart and, and, and these types of things, and perhaps forgetting this utmost important qualification that he is to be a believer in Christ. He must firmly grasp the mystery of faith, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So summing it all up so far that a deacon must be uh, competent in Christian doctrine and consistent in Christian living, and particularly in those three areas of his life. So that's that brings us up to where we are so far. Now we're going to look at verse 10 to verse 13 here. So first we have a, the testing period in verse 10, and then his wife, verse 11, his household uh, management in verse 12, and then, and then his reward for faithful service. So verse 10, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So just like the elders, elders must first be tested before they are uh, uh, installed, appointed, ordained as an elder, so too must the deacons. What's the reason for this? Well, it takes time. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. So laying hands on is the term used for appointing someone into the, uh, into the, into the, either as an elder or a deacon. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And then jump to 24. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. So we have to take the time to get to know these men, to observe them, because he says some men sins are clearly evident. Some we know. They're, 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 you know the, these sins precedes them to judgment, ushers them right into judgment. Others, their sins follow later. So we have to, there has to be a time of testing here. Now, we've known these brothers for a long time. Some of you longer than I've known them. Um, we know their characteristics already. We, we've essentially, we've had a, a, a time of testing um, already of this. But... We, we now want to take, make sure we, we, we're consciously thinking about this. We're consciously, consciously looking at these characteristics, thinking about this. Are the, do these men display these character traits? Are they generally godly men? Not are they perfect men. We're not looking for perfect men because we would have no, we would have no deacons or elders then. But are they generally godly and especially in these three areas that we talked about? That's why we have this testing period. Then, if they are to be found, they if they're found blameless or uh, above reproach, I like the, the, the wording above reproach um, a bit better. It captures the, the Greek better. Blameless sort of gives us the, the impression of perfection. Um, that's not what 
Um, that's not what it, uh, what it what it means here. Is um, is perfection? The Greek it says he has to be above calling. That's what that's what the word. If you want to be the literal translation, above calling. We might say you can't call him on anything in regards to these qualifications. He can't be called out um, for failing to to live up to what these qualifications. Um, Tell us what they set for. So we examine, we observe him, and we we say, okay, we don't we don't we don't find anything in him that would that would uh, that we can call him on for not being um, not not stacking up to these qualifications here. Then let them serve as deacons. Then they're in that official office as as deacons. That's and that's important because um, then they can then they can officially become a deacon. We might say because they've already been serving in the church. We're all supposed to be serving in the church. But if if they have exemplified this this these characteristics, then they can take that official office of the deacon and they can be there to assist the elders in caring for the flock. But Paul gives us a few other things that we need to consider in regard to the deacons, more than just his personal character. And the first, then, is that of his wife, verse 11. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So the, the wife must be reverent. Same, ver, same word we found in verse 8 about the deacons. Semnos, worthy of honor and respect. She must be dignified. Again, just she, this comes through godly Christian character. So a deacon's wife needs to be a woman of integrity. She must have that same godly character that a that her husband has. This this general godliness there. And and for one, this this shows very um, very much on the the husband's leadership in the home. It would be very show very poorly, reflect very poorly on his leadership in the home if she is if she's unruly and contentious and, and an ungodly type of um, type of woman, Ephesians five is uh, teaches us that the husband is is a means in his wife's sanctification and godliness. You can always tell a lot about a man by observing his wife, but but also also just just practically, if the if her husband a, is a has this position of authority and leadership in the church. He's, and he's to be an example in the church. Then so should should she. Husbands and wives are so are so connected. Both of them needs to be need to be godly. She needs to be worthy of of, of respect, worthy of honor. She needs to win the, the the respect of the of the congregation. They're an unruly and ungodly wife reflects very poorly on the husband, not not just on his leadership skills, but just on on him as a as a, as an individual. Alexander Strock says it this way, a godly wife will greatly enhance her husband's reputation as a deacon. She will be one of the most important influences on his development of Christian character and his work in the church. Proverbs 12, verse 4 tells us that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. So she needs to be a godly, uh, a godly woman. And then she cannot be a slanderer tells us here. She cannot be a malicious gossip. Everybody, every Christian is taught, that we're told, we cannot be slanderers, malicious gossips. We cannot, um, we, we are to be mortifying that sin in our lives. But a, a, especially a deacon's wife cannot be prone to that sin. She cannot be 
uh, be someone who's prone to malicious gossips. A lot of times, a wife is going to be privy to some to confidential confidential information. Not all the time, uh, but there are times that that the wife does know, you know, something about a certain situation. Often they do. There cannot be any bone in her body that wants to take that information and share it with somebody and slander somebody uh, uh, and gossip about that. You know, what a breach of trust that would be. The, 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 what a, that would be such a, it would create such disunity, distrust in the church. If, if the, the deacon's wife is spreading confidential information um, that, that is privy to, to her husband as a deacon, so she cannot have that type of malicious spirit in her, and and she so spreading this this type of uh, this this gossip slander that she learns maybe from her husband, spreading it spreading it to others, but also that she can't slander somebody to her husband. We think about it from that side as well. The husband says, you know, well, the elders the elders have asked me to go visit so and so and to um, you know see how they're doing to bring them some help of some sort, and and if she says, well. That person, you know, they're lazy, and they're, and, and she goes off about them, you know, why can't they help themselves, and, and, you know, they, whatever, they're always spending money, they're always shopping, and, and spending all their money, they, why are you helping them, you know, she cannot poison the mind of her husband about somebody that he's been delegated by the elders to go and, and help, so if there's truly, if that's truly the case, some of the elders have said, oh, this is, this person needs some financial help, but this, 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 that person happens to be spending all their money online. It's okay for the for for to voice her concern in a different in a different way. Though I think you understand the point. She cannot have malicious intent. She cannot. The, the Greek word for this um, for this slanderer is actually diabolic or a diabolical there. So she cannot be she cannot be diabolos is the Greek. She cannot be diabolical. She cannot be have malicious. Um, malicious intent towards others. She she must be temperate or sober-minded. You know, she has to be level-headed, self-controlled, moderate, just just even-keeled. You know, balanced, not given to excesses, not given, not controlled by impulses. She can't she can't freak out if I can use that word. She can't freak out at 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 you know uh, um, in response to something. She needs to be. Self-controlled, level-headed. Again, think of think of the influence she she has on her husband, and and it, it, she she might learn of a situation that he's that, that's happening in the church, and, and he's he's trying to, to deal with. There, she has to be able to respond with level-headedness, balance, just balanced mental judgment. There, she can't freak out and respond in excesses and impulses. It's, it's going to affect his judgment majorly on how to respond to a situation. So she needs to be temperate, level-headed. And then last of all, she needs to be faithful in all things. Here, faithful, reliable, or trustworthy in all things. In her, in her marital life, her family life, and her church life. She needs to be faithful in those things, faithful in, faithful in her, um, in her marriage, faithfully submitting to her husband, su submitting to the nurture and care of of her husband, serving serving him, faithful in the home, faithfully serving 
serving her family if she has one. It's not a requirement, but if she if she has one, she needs to be faithful in in her service there, faithful in the church, faithful just a faithful church uh, church woman we could say, and in that order as well, husband, family, church. If she can't attend the prayer meeting because she's at home taking care of the little ones, that's a good thing. That's that's what we want. We want that order in um, in the in her. I mean, she has her priorities, right? But if she's if she can't be bothered to attend faithfully attend the the, the worship services and the and the, the, the prayer meetings, and if she can't be bothered to, um, you know, she she'd rather be she'd rather be be sun tanning by the pool on a Sunday morning instead of being in church, or um, you know, maybe she doesn't if she doesn't contribute in any way in the church, these are things that it would bring into question her qualifications and thereby her husband's qualifications for the office of deacon. So she needs to be faithful. She needs to be uh, generally a godly woman exemplifying godly character, godly and, 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 and faithfulness in her life. Faithfulness in her roles and as, as, as wife, perhaps as mother, and also then in the, the church. <clears throat> and then we move to verse, actually, sorry, before we move to verse 12, I want to address briefly the idea that, um, that this perhaps is talking about women deacons in the church. There are those who believe that, um, that this, is, this gives the allowance for women being deacons or deaconesses. And, and, and that's, I'm going to argue against that, I don't, but I want to say up front, I don't, that's not heresy. That doesn't put you out of the kingdom of God if you think that, that women can be officially deaconesses in the church. That is, I want to give, I want to say that, that up front. I just want to give you my arguments for why I believe it is, it is talking about the deacons. Why? So the reason why, why we think um, perhaps that this could be talking about deaconesses is is um, for one, if you look in your Bible, in verse eleven, the word there, t h e i r, their wives, is in italics. That means it's not in the original. So the original just says likewise, gunekos, gune. Um, it means wife or it means woman. So it can mean both. So the, the argument then is, it doesn't say their wives. So it's just talking about about either wives or or women in general and we're going to take it to be women we're going to conclude then women are are uh, to be permitted as as deacons as well in the church often they'll appeal to romans chapter 16 verse 1 romans 16 says uh calls phoebe uh, uh essentially we might translate it as deaconess although deaconess again that's a transliterated word i commend to you phoebe our sister who is a servant of the church in Centria. Servant there is the word diakonos. It's the feminine word for diakonos there. But the problem is, is that that word, as, I, as we talked about in the past, diakonos appears, appears everywhere in the New Testament. There's, there's dozens and dozens of times that it appears there, and, um, and, it, and, and it doesn't mean the actual office of of deacon in all of those cases. The only time that we find the actual office as distinct from members of the church 
is in 1 Timothy 3, and then in uh, what is it, the Philippians, uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 1, to the elders and deacons of the church and the saints of the, of the church in Philippi. So, they, so that's, those are the only two places we see it listed as an actual, as an actual office, distinct there, so uh, distinct from the members. So I, I think in Romans 16, that's the sense that it's being used there. It's, Phoebe was just a, she was just a faithful servant in the, in the church there. She was, um, we're all supposed to be diaconing in the church. That's, we're all supposed to be doing that, serving the church, helping others. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, to be diacon, deacon to, I came to deacon. And we're supposed to emulate Christ. We're all supposed to be deaconing in that sense of the word. The, 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 the office, however, is, is different. So the argument then for deaconesses is based solely upon the, the uh, basically just a word study then of the word gunikos here for woman or wife. Now word studies are helpful, but we can't, we can't just base our theology on a word study. We have to look at context. Is context is always key. The immediate context here we have we have deacons, verse eight and nine, and then um, and and then and verse ten, always in the, in the masculine form. Now that's not necessarily eliminates women from from that, but masculine deacons. Then we have this verse about wives, and then it goes back to deacons again, verse twelve. There. So it's kind of it's verse eleven is sandwiched in the middle of this. If he's suddenly giving uh, a, a, a different list of qualifications for for a woman deacon, it would just it just would, wouldn't really make sense in the context here to go from 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 male deacons, women in one verse, and then back to the males in verse twelve. So, but the other thing, and I, is is verse twelve itself. It says that deacons need to be the husband of one wife and to rule. Their households well. So to me, that to me that's sort of an end of discussion argument. Um, there is it. it uh, for, for one, he, he doesn't say they have to have a, one spouse. They has to have they have to have one wife or be a one woman man, as we'll see there. So he has to. Um, a deacon is going to have a wife. So if, if he's going to have a wife, he, he's going to be a man. But the other one, and I think even even more telling, is that he has to rule his household well. Men are the head of the households. That is very clear from Scripture um, in, 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 in many places. So if the, if, the, if the deacon has to rule his household well, that means the deacon is a man because the men are the are the are the managers of their household. So I would say that essentially excludes women from the, from the deacon from the official office of deacon. It does not exclude them from serving in whatever way they can help and serve in the church. But remember, deacon the the official office of deacon is not just serving in the church. It's not just mowing the grass and picking up garbage and and mopping the floors and those types of those types of things. It's the deacon is delegated authority from the elder. So, and that's and that's my next argument. Then functionally, um, functionally, this deacon is a position of authority, delegated authority um, from from the elder. And a, and, and a woman 
is not supposed to have authority over a man in the church. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And, and, um, and, and so this is, a, this is the immediate context preceding his discussion about elders and deacons, about authority in the church. He just has said, I do not present, I do not allow women to have, to exercise authority in, over a man in the church. And then he says, here, rather, you're going to have elders, you're going to have deacons, this is how you ought to structure the household of God there. So they, so functionally, deacons have authority and therefore women should not be permitted as deacons. And then practically, just think of deacons, they're assistants to the elders. They are, they're, they're there to assist the elder. You, would God order his, his church that way, where he would put men into this type of a, of a relationship with another man's wife in this, in this relationship of helping him care for the church? To me, that just that seems like a recipe for disaster. Like Solomon said, that's like expecting, that's like taking coals of fire into your bosom and expecting to not get burned or, or and, and to walk on to walk on burning coals and expect your feet not to get seared. It's just, it, it, I think the all-wise God knows this and that, it, that would be a, that would, that's a very, that would be a very unhealthy relationship there. And, and again, I think that's just a, another a practical reason why we, why, why we do not have women deacons, women deaconesses, um, in, in this official office in the church. Again, again, doesn't mean women can't be serving in the church. That's not what I'm saying. The older ladies are to be leading and teaching the younger ladies. That's uh, in Titus. That, that how, to, you know, how, to, how to love and submit to their husbands, how to care in the household. That's, older ladies have roles in the church. Just We just don't want to put them in this official office of deacon. There's a host of ways she can serve and exercise her gifts in the church. So, back to the text then. That's, again, as I said, if, if, you, if you think it, it's okay to have a deaconess in the church, that's okay. I, 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 you know, we can still be friends, we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. I just, I just, uh, I, do, I do not think that is what the Bible is teaching here though. So, deacons, then we've had, they've, we've seen their, their personal character qualifications, those of his wife, and now Paul says we also need to observe his leadership and character as it's displayed in the arena of his household before we allow him to go and express that in the church. We have to observe his household. How is he, how is he, um, how is he ruling, how is he leading in, in, his, uh, in his household? So verse 12, let deacons be the husband's of one wife ruling their children in their own house houses or households well. So let deacons be the husbands of one wife. I'm sure you've probably heard many times the literal there is let him be a one woman man. This does not mean that a deacon must be married. That uh, there, but if he if he is married, it uh, he must be a one woman man. He, he must, or, or, or he must be the, a man of of one woman. He, he must be faithful to his uh, to his wife, to his own wife. Obviously, he can't be sleeping with the neighbor lady. 
but he also um, he, he cannot have problems with pornography. He cannot have emo an emotional affair with another woman. Just he might not be in her bed with her, but but it's possible to have an emotional affair there, be wanting to nurture and wanting to cherish uh, and, and care for another woman who's not his wife. He must be a man of one woman. He must be dedicated to the nurturing and the cherishing of, of his wife and her alone, a man of one woman. And he needs to be managing his household well here. It says, the New King James says rule. Um, but but the, the idea is not is not so much uh, rule rule gives gives uh, kind of connotations of authoritarianism and I think we got we have to we, we this is something we very much want to avoid when it comes to officers in the church nobody is supposed to be authoritarian we definitely don't want authoritarian um, leaders in the church much much damage is done in churches by authoritarian leaders. Leadership is not making rules and enforcing them. That is not what leadership is. Leadership is, is influencing. Leadership is, is, um, is molding and, and changing and, and guiding and encouraging and, and shepherding, yet with authority, doing it with authority, but, but it's, it's leading. It's, it's, like I said, influencing, guiding. And the deacon is going to have this delegated authority from the elders we do not want a man in this office who, who, who thinks, great, now I get to go out and I get to boss people around. I get to exercise my authority. That we want to, we want to, uh, that is not what we want there. We want a man who is gentle, who's, who's guiding, who's a, a, a guiding leader, a, a, a loving, caring leader. Doing so with authority, to be sure, but but gentle, not authoritarian, not, uh, not bossy, for lack of a, of a simpler word. But he also can't be a pushover, either. He, he, he does, um, where, where he's not able to lead, not able to, to enforce and, um, things if they need to be enforced, and, and, um, and just you know, allowing people to, 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 to run over him. Where do we see these leadership um, qualities, abilities exemplified? In the household, that's why we need to observe him and his household, his family, or his children. If he has children, or his children unruly and undisciplined, excuse me, you know, that showing that he's not able to lead them, that he's a pushover, that they get to they get to run run rampant, and he and they're they're uncontrolled. He's a pushover, or maybe perhaps they're timid and they're scared. They tiptoe around him. They 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 they're, you know, showing that he's authoritarian and and. Um, and, and he's not, he's not a he's not a, a leading leader. He's a he's a, a boss. We might say we want to we want to observe are his is his, his, his children his household just respectful, well behaved, obedient children. Not children who sit in rows and and only speak when spoken to. That's not what we're looking for. That's probably indicative of an authoritarian attitude more than more than anything. There. We want just well-managed, well-loved children. That's um, that his household is like that, showing that he has the ability to exercise authority and not to abuse it. So that is that is what we're looking for 
in a in a deacon. There he's a godly man, not double tongued. Not, so he's honest. He's he's not given to any addictions of some sort. He's not greedy. He's a believer. His wife is is also godly and and uh, and, and and temperate, faithful, not a slanderer. And he's managing his household well. His children are, as I said, just just well managed, well loved, uh, well loved, orderly children. That's what we want. Verse thirteen then gives us the uh, the rewards. Though there is a benefit, there's a blessing for those who are serving as deacons. the 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 role of a deacon it takes it takes time, it takes commitment, it takes, um, it's, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard work, but there's a reward for that here. Verse 13, those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So those who serve well, deacons who, who are carrying out their role in a noble way, they're responsible, they're committed, they're, they're hardworking, they're effective, they're, they're, uh, they, they have this, this, uh, this godly leadership that we just talked about, they're serving the body of Christ, they're ensuring that the body is functioning the way that the church ought to function. For these deacons that serve well, they, they receive... It says here an honorable reputation and an increased uh, confidence, personal confidence in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So an honorable reputation as they are evidencing themselves more and more through this process of serving as a deacon. Uh, through this process, as, they're, as they, they evidence that they're just they're faithful, this character, their reputation will will increase. They will, it says they'll obtain for themselves a good standard. But we, we might think, well, that's, that's pretty, why is that a benefit? That seems pretty self-seeking. And, 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 you know, they, they get some sort of a higher status. That's not, that's not at all. It's not a negative thing. It's a, it's a good thing. Because if this man is qualified, as per these qualifications, here, he's not going to use that influence for personal gain. He's not going to. He's not going to use that influence in a self-seeking way. He's going to use it to God's glory. He's going now he, as he grows and he, as he has more influence in the in the membership. He can continue to. He can lead them. He can be more effective in leading and pointing them to Christ. He's using it for God's glory as the, the members of the church are pointed, pointed to Christ and and they're encouraged toward godliness. They want to. They want to. Follow this man. God is glorified in that. God, God is glorified when we are conformed to His image. When we glorify Him in our lives, that's that is that's a result of this. So, um, so it's a it's a um, one of the rewards for a deacon. And then the other thing he says here is that they also benefit spiritually. As well, they receive, uh, they obtain for themselves great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Here, boldness or confidence is probably a better 
um, a better way to understand this. It's probably not so much meaning a like a personal assurance of faith that that you know yes I, I am a believer, um, but I think it's it's just a confidence in the faith as a whole, the 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 whole Christian um, the whole Christian worldview, uh, everything that's involved in that. He receives a greater confidence in that, a confidence in his understanding of that faith, growing in, in, in that knowledge, confidence in sharing that faith, confidence in pointing the, the, the members of the church to, um, to, that, uh, to those things, to the Word, where we find all of, the, all of the, the, the faith and the hope that we have there, reminding suffering believers of, the, of, that, of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It's, it's through this service as a deacon, as he serves, as he, um, as he cares for the flock along with the elders there, that he is going to grow and he's going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's going to do that as he, as he points a suffering, a, a suffering widow back to Christ, as he consoles a, a, a broken-hearted couple um, that, that's, had a, that's had a miscarriage. Let's say, or as he reminds somebody, a brother who's lost his job, um, perhaps pointing them again to a sovereign God, a, a God of infinite love and, and care, uh, all of these things, as he carries out his duties in that, that, that role, it's going to increase his own personal confidence in the faith. And that is a, that is a wonderful reward. What a, what a, what a, what a blessing to, to increase. That that's a reward, that's a result of faithful service as a deacon. This, this, as I said earlier, this is a special role in the church. It takes time, it takes diligence, it takes love and care and patience and wisdom. But what a reward to increase in one's confidence in, in Christ. The, the greater confidence that a, that a man has, a person, any, any believer, the greater confidence that we have in Christ the, the 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 easier it is to go through life. Think of think of Philippians for uh, for example. We call it the Epistle of Joy. Paul is joyful and 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 so so filled with hope and and confidence there. But where was he? He was in prison. He was suffering in prison for the sake of Christ when he wrote that apostle. But it's that confidence that he has in Christ that gives him the joy and. Um, and the and the hope that he has there. So what a what a what a blessing! This confidence here increases comes to a man who serves well as a deacon in the church of Christ. There again, it's as I said, this is not this the confidence confidence in Christ is not limited to the officers in the church. We are all that is. That is, that is our role, that is my primary role as an elder in the church, is to, is to teach us these things so that we do grow in our confidence and so that we can, um, what's the word, weather the storms of this life as we go through it. Having that confidence of who our God is, where we're going, that's, that's how we get through. So, but this comes to a deacon through his faithful service as well. So that brings us to the end of our text. Now, as we in closing here, let's just uh, over the next couple months, 
let's consider these brothers, Hans and Brom, in light of these qualifications. This is, this is the Church of Christ. We are a local expression of the, of the universal Church of Christ. We want to be we want to be doing things according to the mind of Christ. We want to take seriously these things. The Bible has, has given us this for a reason. We don't want to we don't want to allow tradition to overtake. We don't want to um, allow our so-called wisdom, practical thinking to overtake. We, we need to follow the Word of God for how we structure our church. So we, are, we, want, we want men, we're looking for men who earnestly desire the, the, the overall well-being of the church, both corporately, so just that means as a whole, as a, as a group, and individually, the individual spiritual health and well-being of, um, of, of every individual in the church. Though that is the type of men that we want to be serving in our church as deacons. And I, I think these, these brothers, by the grace of God, uh, I would say more than meet these qualifications. Um, in, in a sense, as I said earlier, we've had, uh, we've had a year of testing period already. I, I would say it's more than a year um, where we've seen prior to us constituting as a church their service in, um, already in that um, there, but yet we need to consider these things. I want us to have some time of, of thinking about this, praying about this, pray for these brothers, pray for their wives, their families, and uh, and above all, pray that God would be glorified in our church through this uh, through this process here and in our church in general. So, in some time in September, probably we'll have a vote on this. I'll, I, I may perhaps I can teach on, uh, on on that sometime before then. Why do we vote? Um, and all that. That will be the process. A vote and then Lord willing we will install him into the office. But in conclusion as we close here I want to consider one thing. We looked at Acts 6 a few times already in this. We saw there were seven men were chosen to help the elders in serving the church. These seven uh, these seven men went out and they served tables, it says here. So that is there in that, that uh, situation. One of the tasks, one of the things that they did, delegated by the elders, was to serve these widows to help them um, there. But it tells us that after that, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And it says, and even some of the priests, or many of the priests, how does it say? Many of the priests were obedient to the faith as well. So, so this was um, the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So as, as, as we see this, the early church here committed to the elders, committed to prayer and to the word of God, to to, to praying for the people, teaching the people the word of God, as Ephesians 4 says, um, so that they, we would all come to a complete man, meaning we're all conformed to Christ in our lives. That's the purpose. We're all growing in the knowledge of the truth. As the elders do that, as the deacons come alongside and 
and enable the elders to focus on that. They, they take care, they're, they, uh, they're, they're, they're exercising this love and this leadership to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the rest of the church. The word goes forth, many are added to, uh, to the church. And we can pray that would God be pleased to do the same thing in our area as well. May, may the church grow in this area through, through our faithfulness to the word of God here. May he be pleased to, to add more to his church. We're not look necessarily looking for an increase in number. That's not, it's not about the number. It's ultimately about our conformity to Christ, our spiritual increase. But yet, we, we do desire more to come in to worship us here, that we might take them with us and shepherd and and uh, all for the glory of God. So, but praise God for his goodness to our church here. Praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ, currently, right now, ruling, reigning, conquering his people out of darkness, bringing more of them into, adding them into his church, and bringing us, bringing us home to glory. So until that day, let us be faithful as a church here. Let us, let us be committed to upholding our role to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth, not in doctrine only. As I said, knowledge, simple knowledge puffs up. We don't want that. We want practice in our individual lives, in our lives as a, as a, as a whole, as our church life as a whole, that we would glorify our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in, in closing, if you're here this morning, if you're not a believer in Christ, you don't belong to this church. You are not a member of Christ's church. You are not bound for glory. You are bound for, for destruction. For eternal damnation, unthinkable. We, 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 our culture gives us the concept of hell, and and it's sometimes it's it's uh, you know like ACDC says all oh, my friends are going to be there too. You won't have a friend in hell. It's not a place where it's going to be a party where there's no morals and you get to live, uh, you get to live out your you know w without any feelings of guilt. It's a place of of horror of punishment. But Christ is building His church. Christ is still building his church and the way of escape from that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ trust in him look to him as savior as as the one who has who has lived a perfect life for you because that's what's required for eternal life perfection you don't have it none of us have it but Christ has done it for you look to the one who um, who who has paid for all your sins so you don't have to Christ that's what the Bible teaches us, is that on that cross, Christ paid for sin, so that whoever believes in him will not have to pay for their sin. The debt is paid in full. No longer will that be required of you. That's faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus as, as, as Savior and as Lord, as King of Kings. And then you will be saved. You will enter glory. You will belong to this wonderful church of Christ that is victorious. We know that. The Bible tells us that. The church... The church is victorious. Christ is victorious. He's ruling. He's reigning. The last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. All will be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation tells us all who are against Christ. And Christ wins. If you want to be on the winning team, I don't want to make that sound cheap, but if you want to be on the winning 